Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's pray for Hope is Alive and the ministry that they're a part of. And Lord, we just love you. We thank you and we worship you. We thank you, Father, for the testimony that uh, our hope is found in Christ and Christ alone. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to partner with ministries such as Hope is Alive. And we just pray, God, that you continue to extend the, their influence and continue to bring people who are broken uh, to their ministry. And Lord, that's why the church exists. That's why we exist. Uh, because there is a dying and lost world that is broken. And we desperately need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you guys for being here this morning. You guys doing okay? Yeah, it's good to see some faces. And so I love seeing you guys. And uh, it's a little different. This summer is a unique summer for me. In fact, it's been 30 years. I just, we just, my wife and I counted up 30 years of camp summers. <laughs> so we are, don't clap for that. You'd be like, you should be taking some breaks. Uh, so let me turn, I'm going to turn this. We had to fix this real quick. OCD. Okay. There, it doesn't move now, I think, a little bit. Uh, well, uh, yes, yeah, so it was 30 years of student ministry summers, and I should be at Super Summer today and teaching and training and equipping 250 youth pastors and in preparation for that, that, those weeks of camp. Uh, but I'm, I'll just be honest with you, don't tell anybody, I'm so glad we're not doing that. <laughs> like, it's, it's, this is going to be a great restful summer. My pastor, Rob, said, hey, you should just take some breaks and rest. So I did. We were gone last week on vacation, and so it's good. Uh, but we're back, and we're so excited. I'm so excited to continue the series called Gospel in Life, and we're going to dive into uh, the Word. So if you'll turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, our title of today's Gospel in Life series is uh, Divine Power. So as you turn there, I'm going to kind of illustrate this whole experience of spiritual warfare with a little story that happened a few years ago. We were... Uh, Back many years ago, maybe seven, that's not too many, but I was in seminary and Fridays are my day off and I would study on Fridays in our living room and then the kids would go off and run some errands. And so I'm sitting in my living room and Christy and the kids had just left the house. The quiet house was quiet. I hunkered down in my chair next to the window to get some natural light and start reading some seminary material. And all of a sudden, I just see something out of the corner of my eye in the window. I'm like, huh, that, that's odd. So I look, and I see someone in my backyard. This gentleman has a backpack on, a blue pair of gloves, and a hoodie. I'm like, oh, not medical uh, is he checking the meter with blue gloves? There's no pandemic happening seven years ago. And so I just check all these things of why someone should be in my backyard, like justifiably in my backyard. And I couldn't figure any out. And so this, this guy just walks by like this and stops, sees me in the window. And I put two and two together after a couple of days and realized, well, our house was being monitored. As soon as my wife and kids left, it's Friday, normal people uh, who work in the marketplace should be at work on Friday. This dude isn't at work. The house isn't empty. Oh, no. So he does this. Like that just gives me the head nod. And I'm just looking at him like, what's happening? And he just keeps walking. And so I'm like, what do I do? So I hop up and, you know, my burly self <laughs> runs to the front door. I hear 
some scrambling, like some crawling up or kind of like scratching at some, some fencing. Well, he's crawling up the back fence, what I didn't expect him to do because it's not only a six foot fence, but like a four foot drop off this retaining wall. And so I was expecting him to go out the front door. Like, what am I going to do? Right? Uh, like I'm wiry and I'm fast, but like, what am I really going to do? I, I got nothing on me. I just in my shorts and shirt and no shoes. And, and so I go out the back door and I see him. I climb up the fence on my bare feet and I'm like, man, that was bold statement. I said, I saw your face. That's what I said. I, I saw you. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> And I kind of walk off and go inside. And of course, my adrenaline is pumping. Of course, the guy was trying to break in the house. Uh, little did I know, a couple weeks later, you know, we're not really, like, we're not really that vigilant. And, like, sometimes our windows are ajar and don't really latch stuff. And so I guess he may have someone like him or someone came by and opened the door. And we're at the movie theater. And we get an alarm notice on our phone. And long story short, someone tried to break in our house. And so I started saying, I better start locking some stuff down. And so I'm glad we weren't there. But, you know, even when I face this guy, it, what like, if he was in the backyard, what am I going to do? I'm going to probably get like hurt and like I have no defense uh like I don't know any jujitsu or martial arts and all this stuff and even then like really like you know what kind of weapons do I really have and so and I I'm not one to really carry stuff you know other kind of stuff I do have my concealed weapons license but I don't like I really don't care that much and like I, I, I kind of take after the hunts uh, Dwayne and Dan, if you're watching online, I got this quote from you. It's like, my Holy Spirit's my, my defense. And so, but it began to alert me to a bigger narrative that the Holy Spirit used in my life uh, to, to really deal with me on some other issues of, of not safeguarding, spiritually safeguarding my heart in our home. And so I, he began to uh, use that story, which he does a lot of times in our lives, to shape the spiritual condition of my family and my heart. And so maybe a year later, I'm again spending time with the Lord and just kind of just not really being super vigilant about praying over my family and girding them with, with prayer and, and my own heart and just really being just kind of careless and flippant. And, and then the Holy Spirit spoke these words to me, and hopefully this story gives you enough time to turn to Ephesians now, uh, chapter 6, which is what your job was to do during the story. But, uh, but uh, the Holy Spirit revealed to me that he said, if you knew for sure that there was an enemy or an adversary outside the door of your home like you experienced every single night and every single day of your life, would you be on guard? If you knew that their goal was to steal from you, to kill, and to destroy your family. And the Holy Spirit just convicted me and just, just broke my heart to say, I have not been on guard for my family. And these scriptures we're about to read are the application to that spiritual reality. There is an adversary. He is real. And a little, little heads up for parents, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. And we're not going to glorify it, but just be prepared. Later, you might be ready to share with your kids a little bit more about what the Word of God says. Uh, and our hope is in Christ, and therefore we have a victor. We have one who is our defender. But 
Man, I guarantee you, if you had an adversary that you knew was outside of your home right now, like I'd be hiring people to be on guard, like on the rooftops. It's biblically called accountability. I would have people like in my, I would be armed to the hill. Like I would be building an extra fence, an extra guard. I would, I would push the line of, of, of influence and enemy attack far as I could away. I would create a perimeter even farther away from my home, wouldn't we? If we knew that there was an actual physical uh, adversary outside of your home that was meant to still kill and destroy you and your family. And the reality is we do. But we allow indifference, passiveness, and an unawareness to this spiritual reality to creep in, and we no longer become on our guard. And so now as we have a more emotional buy-in to the reality of what our responsibility is to our community, to our culture, to our church, and to our families, may we allow the Spirit of God to speak to us through Ephesians chapter 6. We'll begin in verse 10. And traditionally, if this is your first time, we always stand in honoring of God's Word because it is living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We're, we're going to stand in God's honor, the honor of God's Word as we read it in Ephesians. Chapter 10, or verse 10 through 13, it says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of this evil in the heavenly places, verse 13, everything, or therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand and withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. You may be seated. Let's pray. Jesus, as we have worshiped you through the arts and heard a beautiful testimony of your goodness and mercy, God, we now allow the work of the Holy Spirit to speak through your word this morning. May we unwrap the truth of your scripture in a way that reveals our heart and causes us to respond in obedience to the gospel. God, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a little background from Ephesians chapter 6 is uh, what Rob's been preaching on is is the practical application of the gospel in our life, in families, in, in, in a marketplace, and, and in di different environments on how do we live out the gospel. That, that's where we've been in earlier chapters of, of five and into where we are now. And now we come to a point where Paul is having his final word to the church and giving us the practical example, practical application of how do you live out the gospel? How do I live out the gospel with my family? How do I live out the gospel in my marketplace and with my co-workers and in my positions as siblings and, and husbands and wives that we got into in the uh, former sermons if you were tuning in online or live with us last week? And now he comes to the point where he says, this is how you will live out the gospel in those areas of your life. And Satan here, and I'm going I'm to read it here, 
from the commentary. It says, Satan was the anointed angel who God placed in charge of the newly created earth, Ezekiel 28. Through pride, Satan fell, Isaiah 49, and took with him the host of angelic beings who now make up this army of principalities and powers. Satan is the deceiver, the father of lies, 2 Corinthians 11, 2. The destroyer, Revelations 9, 11, and prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, 1 Peter 5. In this face of this enemy, it sounds like we have no chance. It's kind of like the situation where I thought I, I, you know, I, I could do something against this guy in my backyard, to be honest with you. Uh, Without leaving out too much description, he would have destroyed me, just to be honest. Like, I had no chance, no weapon, n- nowhere to stand. Uh, and and if, if I would have done anything, it was God's sovereignty that the dude took off and, and, and ran. And all I could say is, I saw your face. I mean, anything else would have been uh, probably devastating. And that's the reality of the situation we find ourselves in, that the, the enemy was Satan. He is the ark or the lead angel that fell because of his pride. He wanted the position of God. He wanted to be the Lord and God of his own heart and life. Sounds familiar when it comes to the narrative of us becoming the God and the king of our own heart versus surrendering our soul and our reality and our life to Jesus. And now he is the Lord of this realm. But point number one is this. Jesus, if you're writing notes, didn't have any handouts, write this down. Jesus supplies all we need. Verse 10. Jesus supplies all we need. Believers do not empower themselves. We have no power in and of our own self. But Jesus is the source. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's the source of our hope, and he's the source of our strength. And so when we face this adversary who is at your door, in your heart, at this very moment, tempting you, trying to uh, get you to, to uh, mire and muddy and, and devalue the image of God. He's at the doorstep of your soul trying to tempt us. Uh, and because of the gospel, believers no longer fall underneath this tyranny, though. We, as, as believers, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus alone, here's the good news. He is no longer, Satan and the enemy is no longer under rule and reign in your heart and your life. He has lost that power. And, and, and that's what Ephesians 6 is saying. That's what Paul is outlining here. The father of lies, the deceiver, has been overcome by Christ and his love on what he did on the cross. And when you put your faith and trust in Christ alone, you gain all the power of Christ that raised Jesus from the dead. That same power that raised Jesus, the God-man, from the dead now resides in you to live out the truth of the gospel, to live out the principles of his character and his nature. So when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, Jesus becomes the king of our life. Jesus becomes the king of our heart. Jesus becomes the king of our home. And Jesus becomes the king of your marriage and your relationships with your siblings and the relationships with your coworkers. He now becomes 
the king of all of it. And so when we live out the picture of baptism, we've been buried to our old self. We've been born again, raised to walk in a new life. That picture of baptism means we have held nothing back. We don't hold our finances back from Jesus. We don't hold our home back from Jesus or our, our, our coworker relationships or our, our uh, social status. It's all died with Christ. And now we are raised to walk in a new life. That's what Jesus meant when he shared with Nicodemus that you must be born again. And Nicodemus, the Pharisee, looks at him like, I know the whole law. I'm trying to live it out. But now you're making me confused because it's supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts that transform us into his likeness. It has nothing to do with me. So it's as if, though, when we live out religious practice, when we try to live out a form and a ceremonial act of religious practice. It's like that we're trying to run out the back door of our own spiritual life and face Satan face to face with our own merit. And many Pharisees and religious leaders of today try to do that in our own power. And many times we try to take on this, this, this faith credited to ourselves. But Jesus called them filthy rags. Paul talked a lot about this, this, this false faith based upon works as, as meaningless in comparison to knowing Jesus. So the question is, do you know Jesus as your defender? Is he the access of power? Has, do you believe that he has supplied all your needs? Point number two that we find in verse 11, that we are in a real spiritual battle against real spiritual darkness. And this is where it gets real. Believers are engaged in a real spiritual battle, but no one else. And that's where the enemy has worked to create a manipulative environment from the beginning of time. A, a, a cultural system that turns one another on each other instead of looking at who the real enemy is. This, the, the social injustices that we see in our nation that we've been hearing about through our prayer and testimony. It's not new news. Racism is just filmed more because of the access of technology. If you think about it, from the beginning of the time, and Pastor Rob spoke to this uh, in his letter to the church in email. If you haven't got a chance to read that, go back and read that. I encourage you to also put, put it on Facebook. A very encouraging response for Northwest. But he mentioned Cain and Abel from the very beginning of time. It has been the enemy's goal to defame and destroy God's image in us. We are created in the image of God. We are image bearers. You are an image bearer of our creator. Every single person on the face of this earth, the guy that has asked for money down on 23rd and I-44, the gentleman that walks into our church uh, that may not smell like uh, we like is made in the image of God. All humanity is made in the image of God. And so we find that narrative of Cain and Abel from the beginning of time, Cain killing Abel, trying to destroy that image. The Canaanites in the Old Testament were an, a horrible example of the de destruction of the image of God when they sacrificed their, their children uh, on the, the altar to the, the false gods, burning them alive. And I won't get into the detail because I know we have a very uh, mixed age group in here, but sacrificing their children to false gods. 
And they would drum drums as loud as they can during this moment to silence the cries of those children, to overshadow the cries of the children so the parents couldn't hear it. And the townspeople and the Canaanites couldn't hear that. And how we've done the same thing, how we have done the same thing with our indifference, plugging our ears to other atrocities, not just social injustices and racism, but abortion, human trafficking, pornography. These are all examples of how the enemy is out to kill, steal, and destroy and to mire and ruin the image of God in us. And each one of us, when we participate in any of these activities, are objectifying and and dehumanizing God's image. And we as a church have an opportunity to respond with a great news of hope in the gospel and love. Satan, here's the truth though, Satan really isn't after you and me. We're, we're, we're just the carnage in the battle between uh, Satan and God, it, it, really. We, we are just a vehicle for the enemy to get to God's glory. That's what Satan wants. He wants to rob God from his glory. That's why he fell from pride. He wanted the spot of Godhead. And obviously, there's no sharing in God's glory. But in our own heart, don't we battle for that same spot every day? We want to be our own boss. No one's in charge of me. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to go down this path of my choice and not surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ and allow him to forgive me my sins and make him the king of my heart. That's, that's, a, that's a spirit of submission that we learned about two weeks ago. But instead, many times we have a desire of self-worship. We worship ourselves, and we put ourselves on the throne of our heart. And that's the battle that has begun from the beginning of time, the, from the first sin. And so we are in a real spiritual battle. And I want to alert you guys and, and parents and fathers to stand firm against the attack of the enemy and to provide a hedge of protection and a covering over your children to intercede for them, knowing uh, that your children are the primary goal of your life, to multiply his glory through your family. That's why Adam and Eve were created, is to multiply his glory through the family. That's your, that's your number one call. As individuals and singles, your call is to glorify God the way you live your life and to cover your home and your heart with a hedge of protection, to be on your guard. And we're going to get into practical ways on how we can do that. But point number three, and our final point, is to put on the armor of God is to put on Christ. To put on the armor of God is to put on Christ, verse 12 through 13. The armor of God is to be understood as God himself and his character. Paul calls believers in Romans 13, 14 to put on Christ. 
In Ephesians 5.1, Paul says this, to imitate God, to be imitators of God, and to identify with his purpose and his goal. Satan tries to gain a foothold and apply his influence over the lives of Christians, causing Christians to live in their old way and hindering the prog- progression of the gospel. So when we're tempted by the enemy to live out our old life, to go back to who we were before Christ, is a way for the enemy to get us to not glorify God. It's to destroy the image of God in us. And so the way we progress, the way we live out the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that there's hope in him and it is alive, is to understand our call is to put on the character qualities of Christ, to live in that reality, not by works, not in a, in a works-based progression of how I operate is very systematic, succinctly, and, and very orderly and organized. Okay, that means I'm going to do my quiet time and read my Bible check, and then I'm going to pray the prayers I'm supposed to pray in a succinct manner, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just do my best to love people. But again, it puts it on me as my responsibility to live out, to putting on Christ. Remember when I was on, I was on, we were on a little trip last week and I was just sitting outside. Just, just opened his word and, and said, I just want to be with you. Jesus, just want to be with you. Remember looking in the word and saying, Jesus, just speak to me. What do you, what do you want to say to me? I'm listening. Big difference between, okay, religious rhetoric, process, system, and then, Lord, allow me to just use me. And just sitting in his presence is actively how we put on Christ and how we allow the leadership of the Holy Spirit to lead our heart and our life. The good news is, is we really have nothing to fear as we've been talking a lot about this, this, the narrative of the enemy. And the scriptures do highlight that. The scriptures do illuminate that, but the truth is, the, the focus is God. If, if we're hyper-focusing on the spiritual warfare and, and, and you know, Satan and his, his dominion, and he's got us off track and focusing on the wrong thing. Our focus should be on the glory of God. That when we live, we, we, we recognize and we defend and we stand firm as we're called to do. But it's to look and see that that we are to live progressively and not defensively. We're to live to call, be, be, be on the guard, but to face the enemy. Uh, and next week, Rob, are you preaching on the rest of the scripture? Yeah, so he's going to talk specifically about each piece of the armor and how to be proactively engaged in the spiritual warfare with, with that activity. But Paul here in verse 13 says, stand firm. Because you've been made alive, Ephesians 1, 3. You've been seated with Christ. You've been adopted into the family of God. And, and, and no longer are we subject to the power of the enemy, but he, ha- he has subjective power, meaning his power is subjected to the leadership of God, that he can only do what he's allowed to do based upon it sub- being uh, filtered through God's permissive will. So as you stand under the leadership and the lordship of Jesus, and he, you're under his protection, there's nothing that the enemy can do to you. 
I talk a lot of students who, who don't feel comfortable walking into the church when it's empty and the lights are off. There's this like, this, this atmosphere and I can tell who watches too many scary movies when they're in the building. And I'm just like walking, what's, what's wrong? I'm just going through the building. Where you? And they're like, uh, I'm like, I'm, it's dark. I'm not going in there. You know, I'm like, what? What are, you, what are you scared about? This is, I watched that one movie with the guy in the red, the red balloon dude. I'm not I'm like, well, that was dumb. Uh, do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know who our hope is? Do you know you've been born again? You've been adopted in the family of God. What, what are you even worried about? And the same attitude that we can face in light of the enemy, knowing he has lordship in the life of those who don't know Jesus, that he has authority over those who have not been adopted into the family of God. But if you're here and you have surrendered your life to Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in him, you've been born again, adopted into the family of God, and you have a new hope and a new purpose, and that's to bring God great glory through your marketplace, your school, your home, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your sibling students is to honor one another. And every time you have a negative remark, remark, you're disrespectful to your parents that we heard in the former chapters of Ephesians. When the marriage relationship is out of sync, when there's not honoring of our parents, when there's disunity and, and, and negative talk in the workplace, and you're living in that, you continue to defame the name of Jesus, dehumanize the image of God in others. So may I encourage you, and you'll see later in other chapters, especially in James, about how there's power of life and death in the tongue. So my encouragement to you is to speak the truth of the gospel into your situation. As we heard in the testimony, live it out. And so we come to some practical landings here, and then I'm going to give you a chance to respond. is we're called at the very end, before next week getting into some practical uh, armory description and, and different parts of the armor we're called to carry. We're called to stand firm. And he ends with a stand firm. So when we see all the narrative that we're seeing out amongst our culture right now with all that's going on, our chance Northwest in particular has a very unique opportunity to be hope and life and freedom and peace. So let your language on social media filter through the gospel. Let everything you say be seasoned and salted with grace. Let everything you do when you interact with people when you go back to work and talk about all that's happening, it is a beautiful opportunity to share the great news that the only one that can bring hope is Jesus. He's the only one that can reconcile our broken world. And, recon and, and that's what he's about. That's why we exist. The church is here for such a time as this to answer the brokenness that we're seeing in cities all across our, our states right now. And may you be a beacon of hope, a beacon of light. 
what a great opportunity. Three things that I want to give you that says, what can I do? What can I do immediately from the scriptures in Ephesians here? So walk in his power. Number one, walk in his power and not your own. Well, Chris, how do you do that? Rest in his grace. Rest, rest in the grace of God that you don't have to work out th- this faith. He paid the price for your sins. Rest in that grace. You don't have to earn his grace. It's free. So walk in his power and not your own, recognizing that. Number two, know who your enemy is. There's, there is a real enemy, and it's not one another. It's not the protesters or the police officers or, or other cultures. Jesus literally actually went to Samaria, who the Jews thought were outcasts. They called them half-breeds, second-class citizens. The people who said Yahweh is our God. Jesus was a Jew, and they, they would conveniently walk around Samaria to avoid that area so they didn't have to deal with the hatred that they had for the Samaritans. How many times do we intentionally avoid areas of our city out of fear, out of hidden racism, out of various reasons? How many times have I walked into the Walgreens right here and seeing people walk in, and they looked disheveled, and they, they smell rich of the legalization of marijuana now. And I just kind of stunned my, oh gosh, just so. Man, I, I, can, I just, right then, dehumanized that person and devalued the image of God in them. So I challenge you to don't, don't avoid areas of our city Go to those areas of our city. If you live in the suburban areas, awesome. This is where we are. This is where we are. When you come in, I would challenge you to shop in some areas around this area and and, and, and make an attempt to make eye contact. Here's how you walk in his power and know our enemy. Look, make eye contact with someone and smile at them and acknowledge their, their identity as having, having uh, the image of God in them. Make an effort to go in these areas. In your, in your neighborhood where you live, same thing. Make an effort to, to show the love of Christ through the way you live. And then finally, put on Christ. Number three, put on Christ. Walk in the spirit, keeping your eyes on Jesus and living out the gospel by highly valuing people. But maybe you're here as we wrap up and you've never really come to the place where you've genuinely put your faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe you've come to services all across your, the city or your whole life, and, but, but there's never been a point in your life where you really have put your faith and trust in Jesus. You can do that now. If you haven't, you're still under the rule and reign of darkness that rules this world. But if you have, walk in that freedom. Walk in in Christ. But I want to invite you, and if you're here watching online, I want to invite you to put your faith and trust in Jesus. So let's stand, and and we're we're going to take a moment to respond.
it just gets you one step closer to moving out and maybe coming to talk to pastor or or uh, pastor Kyle is if he I don't know if he's coming up but he'll be in the back and if you're online there'll be a, a opportunity for you to text uh, to our uh, connect Northwest the number is eight ten ten and and respond to the gospel this morning but also if you're here and you need uh, someone to visit with. Even with social distancing, we want you to have an opportunity to respond immediately to what the Word of God says. And if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can do that now. Let's pray.